Hey, welcome to Wayfair, where you've always got a ticket to ride through Lent. In the midst of the slurry of sound bites, this podcast is like antimedia. It's filled with gaps and places for you to join in and respond. It's like a hammock and a glass of lemonade for your soul. Well, maybe not the lemonade. I mean, it sounds nice, but then you start swinging and the lemonade is sloshing around. And if you try to drink it while you're laying back, it gets all over you. And then, where do you put the glass when you're done? Okay, you got me. Just a hammock and maybe a nice book. It's only half finished on its own, though. This needs you to be complete. Together, we'll explore a variety of spiritual practices, old and new, from Lectio Divina to guided prayers and meditations. Each day of the week, we'll focus on a particular attitude or a spiritual posture. Today, we're focusing on confession, looking honestly at ourselves and seeing the grace that is already present. Now, throughout the podcast, you'll encounter a variety of voices and you'll even be invited to participate. There will be places for you to respond in prayers and readings and songs. So join in as you feel led, unless you're still reading in your hammock. But be careful with that lemonade. And if you spill it all over the place, that's on you. Literally. You see what I did there? Was... Anyway. So, listen to your heart. Be attentive to the spark of the divine within you as we journey together.
this week we're talking about unlearning death. Not just death, death, but the many losses that we experience and how we find healing, transformation, and grace in the midst of our struggle. Now, even though we're talking about death metaphorically in many ways this week, we're actually going to talk about death literally as well today. Logan Lloyd is a chaplain at UK Hospital. He's also a deacon and a member at Central, so he knows firsthand what it's like to walk with folks through the shadow of death and grief, to minister to people at these crucial transitions in life. He stopped by to share some stories of his experiences as a chaplain, so we'll be talking about end-of-life issues as well as substance abuse and even domestic violence today. Logan handles this with great care, but just be aware if you're listening with children or if some of these situations could be a trigger for you. Here's Logan. I got a call from a nurse um, that was calling to tell me that this uh, this gentleman and his wife um, were wanting to see a chaplain. Um, and she said, well, he was on the floor, um, which means he's on a basic level of care, and he uh, declined to needing a lot more attention and care and needed to go to a, a critical care room. Um, but in the midst of all that, he had kind of decided that he didn't want to receive um, aggressive treatment, uh, that he had... Um, you know, the cor- he knew the, f- the course of his illness was going to lead to his death, and he chose not to um, pursue some some more aggressive treatments, uh, like being put on a breathing tube and stuff like that. Um, and the way it was explained to me, kind of later on, was that his the nature of his disease was such that um, that the timing of his death would be kind of unpredictable. But it really could happen at any moment, um, just because of, and it would happen very quickly. Um, and so, but then, uh, as I kind of approached uh, his his room and where his wife and he were, um, I could tell that he was very much alert and coherent and um, looked very looked sickly. Um, he couldn't move much of his body; he was pretty weak. Um, but he could communicate and had some these kind of clear gray eyes um, that, that I'll remember. And um, he sat there, and I walked up, introduced myself. So he, he said, I'm glad you're here. Uh, he says, I'm dying today. And I you know, kind of just responded with a, you know, just kind of an emotive sound and saying, you, you know, that's that seems... Um, you know, really big for you to say that. Uh, and he said uh, something along those lines of, yeah, it's it's kind of scary um, because I don't know what it'll be like. And uh, I've lived a good life with my wife. And uh, I'm going to, you know, as whatever it means to say I'm going to miss her is I'm going to miss her. Uh, and... Uh, we kind of, I was, we kind of talked for a little bit longer, and you know, it, he since he was so clear about you know, his death was imminent, you know, I kind of asked him, you know, what do you want, what do you want it to be like, you know, what do you want your death to be like, um, and he said, you know, I want my sister, his sister had also joined us, I want my sister here, I want my wife here, um, 
and I want to uh, just go to sleep um, and be and be at peace. And so uh, my response to so much of this and why he's kind of stuck with me is just the um, just the courage and fortitude he had to um, acknowledge his own imminent death. Um, and not just to say, you know, bring it on, but he said, you know, I'm scared. I don't know what it's going to be like. Um, he found strength, you know, saying he's had a good life. He, he just claimed meaning in his life. It was very sad, but very, uh, powerful. And I'm, I'm amazed all the time about how I have the privilege that people welcome me into their lives in these vulnerable moments. Um, you know, I'm a stranger. Uh, granted, I carry an office as a minister, um, and people appreciate that, and, and that's important to them. Um, but still, it's awfully incredible how people are welcome me, and I get to be a part of these really, really powerful and intimate and meaningful moments. Um, that are really, really important. Well, let me tell you this other story. I visited with this woman. Um, she was a... It was, it was, she called to ask for a chaplain visit. Um, she was a heroin addict. Um, and, you know, while we were visiting, she, you know, disclosed that, uh, her, uh, her significant other had, um, had been beating her pretty frequently. And, uh, you know, she called me and he wasn't there and she wanted to talk and, um, and ultimately, she's just talking about how she was finding this new life. The way she talked about, you know, she'd gotten clean for a while and then would relapse. And then she'd get clean and she'd get clean for a little bit longer this time and relapse. And for her, the way she framed it was she's like, I'm getting better. You know, she had so much like hope in herself that you know, she would get clean a little bit longer and then relapse. Um, and uh, she she framed it in, you know, this this experience from God, you know, that that God, she was God's child, and that, you know, God was continuing to lift her up. Um, and the most powerful moment that she shared with me was, um, she said, you know, her, her old man, is what she called her, would hit her. Um, and she said at first that she just... He would he would call her worthless, and she felt that, um, and she said that I felt worthless, and she said, and someday, one day, she you know, had this experience with this guy, and she said to herself, she said it to herself, she goes, I'm not worthless, and then the next time it happened, she said she said it out loud, like, I'm not worthless. She said, just hearing myself, hearing me say I'm not worthless. Like, she goes, I felt it, like, grow inside me. Um, and so every time it, it continued to happen that she kind of felt herself 
I'm not worthless. Um, and this was all part of this kind of new life that was stirring inside of her. Um, and both the vulnerability and just the, um, the hope of new life and also just the fragility of new life that it wasn't, you know, just this complete conversion because she was still an addict and she was still in an unsafe relationship that she said she couldn't get out of, uh, which is its own complex story. Um, but she felt this new life coming in for her. Um, and she said, and I know, I know what I need to do, and it's really scary and you know, getting out of this relationship and continue to find help. Um, and I don't know what the outcome of her story is. That's an, uh, I see my people that visit the hospital, and then they leave, and I often never see them again. Um, but the power that was in her eyes when she kept saying, I'm not worthless. I have this new life stirring inside me. Um It's just really, it's really meaningful. Life takes so much courage sometimes. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. Sometimes just getting out of bed is hard. Uh, the world can be really cruel. Uh, we're often braver than we think. Thanks so much, Logan, for your openness and your willingness to share your stories with us. And thanks for your good work in our community. What a difference a gentle and compassionate presence can make in the midst of our suffering. You know, Logan also shared several books that he recommends for dealing with grief. We'll put those in the description so that you can take a look. Now, I know that we said today was about confession, and I don't know about you, but usually when I think of confession... I think of, you know, things that I did wrong. But maybe sometimes confession is really just getting it off our chest. Maybe it's just saying, I'm not okay. Or saying, I'm scared. Or, this is too much. Maybe it's really just letting that truth rise to the surface. And you know, that takes a lot of courage and strength. Last year, during our service of hope and healing... Bill Campbell shared a poem that he wrote for his son, Colin, who died in 1995. When Bill read it, I felt transported, communing with his own experience. And while we can't ever really walk in another's shoes, we do all share this experience of humanity together. Here's what Bill had to say about his poem. I hate to put it mechanically, and I don't mean it mechanically, but it I think about a sonnet that rhymes in a certain way and has a certain measure and has a certain tradition as a means of prayer, as a, as a spiritual discipline. And that sounds contradictory, merely mechanical, but it's not merely mechanical. It's a, as with so much that we learn to do externally, it becomes meaningful internally, and you don't know which comes first. The form dictating the feeling of the feeling, relying on and expressing itself in the form. In any case, uh, I turn to the sonnet. And uh, 
The sonnet is addressed as a prayer to my son, Colin, who died in a plane crash, as I said, in 1995. And it's built on three things. First, the tendency we've all had to find people who we have loved and lost in among crowds. That is, you see a person and you think, gee, that's mom. No, it's not. Oh, no. Or in the sounds of people's voices. Uh, that sounds so much like my dad. Gosh, it sure sounds like him. Let me take a look. And in nature, sometimes there seem to be signs, things when spring comes on and we see a tree that looked dead, mangled and dead, almost in the torment, frozen, of dying. And there it is, sprouting, or birds migrating. So I thought about those things and built this poem in really four parts. The first part is about seeing him, my son, thinking I did and know it wasn't he, it was just a stranger moving on. And hearing voice, a voice or sound that sounds like his voice or something we shared, a song or something we uh, sang together, as sometimes we did at church in the hymns. And the third part is uh, a sense I got of uh, a flock of birds settling in an oak tree near our house and um, how they were migrating and moving on and waiting in their night to fly to their world of light farther south. Now for our practice today, I'd like to just listen to Bill's poem. Afterwards, we'll play some music so that you can just be for a few minutes. Maybe let your truth rise to the surface and know that there is grace and acceptance and love. Know that God is present with you and that you are not alone. For my son, Colin, 1964-1995. That moment, you, among those passing by, my startled look found you to fix upon. I almost called, but you would not reply, dissolving from that stranger moving on. And even sometimes, though less often now, your tone of voice steals on me, unprepared, comes from the quietness. I don't know how, from half-remembered things we spoke and shared. This evening, settling in the large oak tree, a chattering flock of small migrating birds wait for the dawn, when they will rise and flee beyond this winter in my world of words. Such hints, dear son, illuminate my night. 
like gleams of promise from your world of light.
God, thank you for your presence with us in the midst of our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that we've talked about some difficult things today, and I just want you to know that our ministerial staff at Central is always ready to listen. So if you'd like some more information, you can contact the church office or our associate pastor of congregational care, Crystal Shepherd. Hey, we're collecting Beatitudes. You know, the sayings of Jesus we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Who would Jesus call blessed today? Write your own Beatitude and call it in. Just leave a message at 859-813-0150. That's 859-813-0150. Or you can find the number in our show notes for the day. Wayfarer is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. A loving, healthy, and progressive gathering of Christians where everyone is welcome. No exceptions. Find out more about Central at LexCentral.com. This episode was produced by me, Aaron Austin. Thanks to everyone who joined in, and thanks to you for listening. Join us tomorrow for another step along the journey.